manifestation of your grace and your mercy than your resurrection. And so, Father, as these things have made very clear to us, very plain to us, I pray, Father, that we would rejoice. Rejoice, Lord, that you did not give us what we deserve, but, Father, you opened up the heavens and have given us so much. And so, God, we just lift you up today and we just pray that you would be glorified. I pray, Father, as we get into your word, as we look at the resurrection and all connected with it, that, Father, you would open our eyes even to new things. And so, once again, we just thank you for this morning. We just pray, God, that you would bless us for being here, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and tell him, Merry Resurrection Day. <laughs> Well, this, well, I really, this afternoon, we got five more minutes, but you are welcome to follow through in your Bibles if you would like. Um, I'm going to go pretty quickly if you want to just take in with the things that I have here today. That will be fine as well. I've got my little bag here. I've got a few things that I want to show you. And the very first thing is our traditional thing is the Resurrection Day selfie. So you will need to stand up for this. And I did it first service. Now, second service is so much better looking, so we'll probably use this one. <laughs> Let me see if I can get this right. It took me a little while to do it. There we go. Okay, so you can duck if you don't want your picture taken, but you have to smile and wave. Ready? One, two, three. All right. That didn't hurt. You can go ahead and be seated. <laughs> I don't think we got you anyway. You're way over to the side there. 
When we first got saved, my wife and myself, the very first Easter, just so much came alive. And we became a little bit legalistic. It was time to throw out anything that was anything contrary to, not so much contrary to the scriptures, but no more eggs, no more coloring eggs, no more this, no more that, except for the chocolate. For some reason, that always stayed. But then we became grandparents, and we were a little bit more gracious. And well, we do the Easter egg hunt with our kids, although, and I'll show you in a minute, it has a bit of a different meaning than, um, than a traditional Easter egg hunt. Because, well, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, it says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. In this particular case, the man is the Lord Jesus Christ. The field, the field that he was searching in and prospecting in was the world. And the treasure, well, you're the treasure. You're the one whom the Lord found hidden in that field. And he sold all that he had. He gave up everything in order to have that relationship with you. And so in this parable, we see the richness of what the Lord found as he, did, as he dug very deep. And what I want to do today is I want to do a little digging of our own. I want to prospect past the world's perceptions of Easter, and I want to revisit some biblical realities of what occurred so long ago. I want to get past all the bunnies and the eggs. I want to dig through the holiday versus the holy day. I want to dig into the sacrifice and the justice of it all and come to the realization of this great gift that God has given humanity and the degree and how he has revealed it to us all, that we would take a fresh perspective of this day and regardless how long you've been saved, regardless or if you are saved, but that you would examine these truths and reconsider your conclusions. For some of us today, it will be Easter 101. For others, a reminder and all of us, it's just the reality of God's plan for man's redemption. And so, in order to reveal this, obviously we are going to go to the Word of God. Nothing supersedes this. But as I said, I want to dig through the world's perception. And as I mentioned before, one of the things that we did with our kids, and very prominent today, is the Easter eggs. Now, these Easter eggs aren't just Easter eggs. My wife found them on the Internet. They're called resurrection eggs. And these resurrection eggs tell a story. Not so much of what's inside of them. When I was a kid, yeah, there was candy, and we did the same thing with our kids. There was candy and money, whatever it might be, all these riches that they were excited to get. But it pales in comparison with the riches that I'm going to reveal to you today. And so there's 12 eggs here. There's 12 things, 12 elements of this season that, when cracked open, when revealed, show us these deep spiritual truths of our salvation and the love that God has for mankind. So just bear with me as I do this little silly exercise, but with a very deep spiritual truth. And so, first egg, first egg is the blue one, and as I open the first egg, it's, it's not a bunny rabbit that laid an egg that had a chicken in it, or whatever, however all that works out. Matter of fact, instead of a bunny, it's a donkey. It's a donkey, and yeah, you laugh, and it's funny, there's no doubt about that, but what does that refer to, and what's the spiritual truth that is there? Well, we looked at it last Sunday in the triumphal entry of the Lord, and Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, speaks of the very first Palm Sunday. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. 
Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, the colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, the important treasure here is, is that we would come to the realization of the truth of a common misconception of God. Now, the faith that I was raised in, and I was not a born-again believer, but the nuns, the nuns basically taught me that God is mad, and you ought not to make him matter. It's kind of like when we'd mess up at home, and my mom would say, just wait till your father gets home. Well, just wait till God gets a hold of you, and really, the nuns were a perception of that as well. I mean, when we were kids, the only thing you saw of a nun was kind of about that much of their face. I never realized that that was a woman in there. I just thought it was a nun, you know, whatever a nun is. And they weren't happy either. But the fact of the matter is God's not mad. God's not mad. Now, enmity towards him and sin and sinners and all of that, don't get me wrong there. But it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. And Jesus Christ came on a donkey, and I'll show you the ramifications of what that means, because he wants you to understand that he's available and he's accessible. Available and accessible to all of humanity. Available and accessible to those who are born again, without a doubt. But even those who are far off, that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord would be saved. So when Christ came, he came in a spirit of compassion. He came in a spirit of love to minister to those who had been separated by sin. Now, that was some 2,000 years ago that he came on a donkey. In the picture here, well, for that society, a king coming on a donkey would be a king who comes in peace. And the Lord was coming so that he would save mankind. He was coming in peace for the purpose of our peace, that we would have the peace that surpasses understanding. Now, later on, this is going to be a future event. He's going to come riding on a white horse. He's going to be coming. Well, a king coming in a white horse would be a king coming in judgment. And so I need to see the perception of what I have of my king. Do I have the perception of him coming on that donkey and receive this king of peace? Because if I refuse it sooner or later, I will see him coming for the purpose of, of judgment. In Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, For when we were still without strength, when we were still sinners, we could do nothing for ourselves, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God is a just God. He looks down on humanity and the Bible tells us all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Is there anybody in here who has not sinned? You don't need to raise your hand, see me after and we'll prove you wrong. God looked down upon humanity, and God loves humanity. But humanity is separated by sin. And because humanity is separated by sin, something had to happen. But the problem is, as God looks down on humanity, man could do nothing for his condition. I, I have grandkids. I have a grandson, Chris Mike. He's, I don't know, what is he? He's pushing one somewhere around there. But he's still not self-sufficient. He depends upon his mother. He depends upon others for his mere survival. And we were like that. There's nothing we could do in our situation, and God determines there's something that needs to happen. And so God makes the determination that he needs to send the image of the invisible God. Now, this isn't just an image, that God himself needs to enter into that picture so that man would know and that mankind would understand that the goodness of God would be revealed, as we just sang, the mercy and the grace of God would be revealed, and the desire of God's heart would be revealed to this hopeless situation. 
and man, man needed to understand that God's not mad. God's not mad. Matter of fact, again, it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. And so it was essential that we see this picture of this donkey and and this great king coming humbly upon this donkey. Why? What did Adam and Eve do in the garden? They sinned, and all of a sudden they're realizing the separation from God and, and the sinner. And what did they end up doing? Well, what tree did they eat off of? Does anybody know what the fruit of it was? I mean, apple kind of got a bad rap. I don't know what it was because the Bible doesn't say, but it does say that they covered themselves with fig leaves, and I just kind of wonder, was it a fig that they ate? Because, again, we are covered with our sin apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. But what did they do, though? The fact of the matter is when they heard God coming, God's mad. They went and hid. But the fact of the matter is God wasn't mad. And God revealed the plan for salvation. He revealed the plan, yes, of his grace and his, his mercy. And so we need to understand this very first point that God's not mad. Matter of fact, God has a great love for all of mankind. We peel open the second egg. And one of the things that used to be in our eggs when I was growing up, and again, we did it with our children, and you can kind of hear here, some of it would have money in it. Not a whole lot of money, but it would have some sort of cash in it, and the kids would get excited, and so does this have. This has 30 pieces of silver. It's pretend money, without a doubt, but nonetheless, it's that picture of that price, that price that you would pay for a slave. If you were going to go into the slave market of that day, and you were going to purchase a slave, you would do so for 30 pieces of silver. In Matthew 26, verses 14 through 15, Then one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him thirty pieces of silver. And so this king of all kings, this lord of all lords, he became a slave. He became a slave for our purposes. And what I mean by him becoming a slave, he came to serve you. He came to serve. He didn't come to be served at this point. He came to serve you. And that service was fulfilled upon the cross. It's what we celebrated two days ago on Good Friday. But the reality of it was proven through the resurrection. Throughout all of humanity, people have died, obviously. Matter of fact, during Jesus' time, quite a few people died upon the cross. And so what would set Jesus Christ apart? He came back to life. Why did Jesus need to die? The reason Jesus needed to die was to pay the price for our sins without a doubt. But the wages of sin is death. And again, there's this picture that all humanity needs to see. And we'll get into this in a little bit. But Jesus took sin upon himself. Because he took sin upon himself, he had to die. The wages of sin is death. Now again, that's happened to so many other people. But there was something unique about this one because nobody else has been able to come back from the dead. Now, what does his resurrection speak to us? His resurrection speaks to us that he achieved victory over death. And because he achieved victory over death, now we in Christ are able to achieve victory over death as well. And so the reason he was sold for the price of a slave is because he willfully took the position so that you and I would be able to have entrance into the kingdom of heaven. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So here he is on a donkey. He's coming in peace. But also we see because of the price that was paid for him, this was a servant. This was a humble man. 
This was a humble God, a humble God that met us in a way that we are able to perceive him and understand him. Thirdly, we open up the third egg, we break it open, and what do we find? We find a cup. We find this cup, and we we looked at it a little bit on Thursday night. On Thursday night, we looked at the Seder meal or the Passover meal. We saw last Thursday that this cup, the cup that the disciples drank with the Lord, this would be the third cup of the meal. This third cup of the meal would be the cup of redemption. In Matthew 26, verses 27 through 28, it says, Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. So he said, take this cup, take this cup of redemption, and all of you drink it. Whoever may, drink from this cup. The choice was theirs. And they all, as far as we know, drank from it. But there were 12 guys there at that point. One of them was Judas. Did he drink from this cup? I think he drank from this cup, but he drank from this cup in an unworthy manner. He drank for this cup in unbelief and in selfish ambition. He drank to his own judgment. Now, in reality, there's two cups that mankind is able to drink from. The reason that mankind can drink from this cup of redemption is because the Lord Jesus Christ, he drank from the cup of judgment. Now, we were all due to drink from the cup of judgment, but because of the love and compassion of God, we are now able to drink from the cup of redemption. And so, that being the case, well, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. When it says he gave, that means he gave up him. He gave him up to be crucified. Or, this illustration, he gave him up to drink from that cup of judgment. That whoever believes in him, and there's the key, belief, should not perish but have everlasting life or be able to drink of the cup of redemption. We're told in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, whoever drinks of that cup of redemption, it says, that person, that person will be saved. What is he saved from? He's saved from eternal death. He's saved from eternal separation from God. Opening up the next egg, we've got this folded hands. These folded hands, folded hands are a picture of prayer. And in this picture of prayer, we see some more realities of the cross that are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And we see the the magnitude of what was really happening during this time. This time of prayer is the Garden of Gethsemane. It's in Mark chapter 14, verse 32. But what was happening in the heart of the Lord at this time? We get a little bit of a picture of the personality of Jesus Christ Not so much in his humanity, although we do, but in his deity here. We're seeing God, and we're seeing God struggle. In Mark 14, verse 32, Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death, Stay here and watch. He went a little further and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup, that would be the cup of judgment, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, 
but that but what you will and so here's the Lord Jesus Christ you've got God's plan for salvation now the Bible does tell us very clearly that God desires for all men to be saved matter of fact we're also told of the cross that was the joy that was set before him and so you wonder well why all this sorrow why all this trouble why all of this distress well Jesus said if it be possible that this hour pass from me now what's the hour the hour is what is inclusive of his death upon the cross now we just saw why did he die he died because he had sin placed upon him not his own sin but he's paying the price for your sin he's paying the price so so God Almighty Jesus is God God has always existed he has never felt the effects of sin upon him and now he's understanding what is set before him in this cross He's understanding, well, we look at the exterior, and again, we'll look at that in just a little bit as far as the whipping and the piercings and all of that, but that's just a picture of really what was happening in the interior because as he is upon that cross, he's taking the sin of humanity upon him. As he's taking that sin of humanity upon him, he's experiencing that which he has never experienced before. God in his absolute purity is experiencing the effects of sin and the separation of sin and just all that sin entails. And you have to understand the miracle of what is occurring at that point. Fifthly, you pull apart the fifth egg and you see what's inside not a very uh, pretty picture but you have this well kind of a piece of leather here but what it symbolizes is the whip the whip that shedded the back of our Lord Jesus Christ most of us have seen the movies and understand the magnitude of that shredding and what had happened again an exterior picture of what was happening internally and there's even this big debate who was it that caused that to happen was it the Jews was it the Romans was it us keep in mind what is happening upon the cross Jesus is being punished punishment for sins of the world he's being punished by the father the Father is the one administering the punishment, and again, it should be the punishment that you receive. It should have been the punishment that was due to you. That's, again, why all of the picture of this violence, it should be me receiving that. Has anybody ever done something just amazing for you that you couldn't repay back? I was an electrician, and I was a contractor, had my own business, and the Lord was doing this great changeover in my life. I was very successful in my business up to a point, and then all of a sudden it just started going downhill. People owed me money, they filed bankruptcy, I didn't get the money, I still had to pay the money out. The Lord impressed upon my heart that I was not to, I was to honor my bills and whatnot, and, and so it, it was really hard. And there got to be a point that we fell behind in some of our house payments. And I'm thinking, how do I tell my children, how do I tell my wife, we're going to lose our home? You know, and just all that's tied up in that. And some people I understand here probably have lost a home, and it's a hard thing. I was involved in ministry. I, I wasn't in, in, in full-time ministry at this point, but the Lord was moving in that direction. And I'll never forget. I, I did ask for some prayer on it, and people were faithful in that. And I'll never forget when I went to church one day and somebody handed me an envelope of a house payment. And it was just so, first, first, mind, first thing that hit your mind is, no, I don't need that. I needed it. I needed it bad. 
and God provided. Not that you just said that person. No, well, God threw that. And it wasn't just one person, it was people. That's how God provides. And it was humbling. It was humbling, and I couldn't pay it back. I still owed other money, and so not that I was completely out of debt, but glory be to God. God, God, God provided, and, and, and it just humbles me, but it, it shows me lending through that little thing to this very big thing of what Christ has done. And, and again, this whip, this whip was prophesied, and this whip, well, it's, we're told specifically almost exactly what had happened in the book of Isaiah, hundreds of years before it occurred. In Isaiah chapter 53, Isaiah chapter 53 is a chapter in Isaiah that some rabbis refused to teach. Why? Because it points right at the cross of Jesus Christ. It says in chapter 53, verse 1, Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground, speaks of the humble beginnings of the Lord. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. That beauty is not exterior, it's interior. Verse 3, He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded, or he was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, by that whipping, we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. This would be our humble king. Halfway through, opening up the sixth egg, we see is a crown. It's symbolic of crown of thorns. Now, something very unique about a crown. A crown, when it's placed upon the head, speaks of the person on whom it's been placed upon. There's the crown of a victor, Stephanos. Crown of a victor would be something that, well, back in the Lord's day, the Apostle Paul a winner of the Olympics or the winner of a sporting event, instead of getting a gold medal, he would get a Stephanus or a woven piece of ivy. It was this crown. And that crown would speak of how good that athlete was and how well he performed. Or there's a diadem, a crown of gold. crown of gold would speak of the person underneath it. This is a king, and it would speak of his deity, and it would speak of his sovereignty. And so when you would look at that crown, you would understand who it is that's underneath. Then we see this particular crown. This is a crown of thorns. Thorns, they're representative of the sin of mankind. They're representative when they're placed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. They're representative of the reality that he has taken the sins of the world upon him. And he's achieved victory over them. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 through 18, it says, Then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And the idea is the work of man's kind, the only thing it's always going to produce, it's always going to fall short of the glory of God. It's always going to produce that which is unclean in the Lord's sight. And so all of these works, man, that has produced all of these sin, as Christ is upon the cross, the sin is placed upon him. We can't get past that. 
2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, For he made him who knew no sin, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him, that we would be able to drink of that cup of redemption and we would be justified. Again, justified, we would be seen just as if we have never sinned. Now, when I was walking down the hallway, there was a kid in there just screaming their full head off. And I'm thinking, just throw him out in the parking lot. I wasn't really thinking that, especially when I saw who she was. She was my granddaughter. Then my whole perception changed because I see her just as if she never sinned. Your kids, they're dirty, rotten sinners. Mine, they're perfect. As funny as that is, that's how God sees you. That's how God, through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's how he chooses. He sees you. He chooses to see you just as if you've never sinned. He has cast away your sins as far as the east is from the west. It's not a license to keep on sinning. How can we who've been forgiven sin any longer? But nonetheless, we need to see the magnitude of all that this is as far as the Lord bearing my sin. Next egg is number seven. It's an orange egg. That doesn't really matter. But in it, we have a little cross that's shaped out of some nails, and we have a spear. We have those things which have pierced the Lord. And what I want to see in this is the place where they pierced. I want to see the places upon the cross where the Lord Jesus Christ bled, because it speaks volumes of what was occurring upon that cross. It reminds me of those places because I need to be reminded daily On the cross, Jesus, well, we know that his hands were pierced. Actually, more than likely his wrists, but we understand the area of the hands. And the reason that his hands were pierced so that we would be reminded that my works now have been cleansed. That which used to produce thorns and thistles can now produce that which is honorable before God. We know that a nail was driven, more than likely a spike, driven through his feet. And we understand that his feet bled so that my walk, my walk can be cleansed. My manner of life, I can live my life in a manner that glorifies him. That javelin, that spear, it was stuck in his side. Now it says, the Bible says, when it was stuck in his side, water and blood came out. And some commentary, some commentators have said that that's a picture of the broken heart of God upon the cross. God's heart was not broken upon the cross. God's heart was strengthened upon the cross. Because God understood, remember it was the joy that was set before him, that this is going to open up fellowship with mankind. But as far as the bleeding from the side, well, I can be well aware of that he is by my side continually, that he will never leave me nor forsake me. He bled from his back, as we saw earlier, and that just shows me that he has borne my burdens. He bled from his head And this tells me that he has cleansed my intellect. I now have a biblical perspective of all that I perceive. We're told in Proverbs 3, 5, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Verse 8, or verse 8, Egg 8. Egg 8 has a lot or a dice. This particular case, it's a die. Die is singular. But we're told in John chapter 19, verse 23 through 24, that the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts, to each soldier a part, and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece, and they said, therefore, amongst themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it. Whose it shall be? Why? That the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, they divided my garments among them, 
and for my clothing they cast lots, therefore the soldiers did these things. Now with Christ, there were certain things that were essential that we would understand that he's Messiah. Number one, and this is just part of it, he had to fulfill the Old Testament scriptures. If he doesn't fulfill the Old Testament scriptures, either he's not who he proclaimed to be, or God's word isn't true. If God's word isn't true, then our whole belief falls apart. So Jesus not only had to fulfill Old Testament scriptures, he had to fulfill every single one of them, and he had to fulfill them in detail. Now, this is the most scrutinized aspect of the scriptures for thousands of years, and nobody's ever been able to prove it wrong. Matter of fact, the odds of it being right are astronomical. I've seen them before. It's like one to the hundredth time zero. I, you know, I, I'm not even saying that correctly, but it's astronomical. And, but not just fulfillment of scriptures. We also see, well, if he's God, then he's going to do the miraculous, and we see the miracles that he performed while he was here. Now, you could say, okay, somebody could line something up and very possibly fulfill scriptures. Now, as far as miracles, we see people who, 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 who can confound people daily and by false signs and lying wonders and whatnot. Well, then he had to be crucified. Psalm 22, written hundreds of years before crucifixion even came upon the scene, describes it to a detail. We just saw Isaiah chapter 53. He had to be crucified. But you can say, well, there was a lot of people crucified during that time. Anybody can go to a cross. Try coming back from the dead. Ain't nobody been able to do that one. And so it was necessary on that third day. It's why Easter Sunday, Resurrection Day, however it is that you want to call it, there has been about four years ago, I was after service, thing went real well, and I was going through the hallway, and one of our kids were there, and I said, hi, you haven't got, what are you guys doing for Easter today? And he lectured me that it wasn't Easter, it was Resurrection Day. So I've been corrected on that one. But it's why Resurrection Day, it's why Easter is so holy, because it lends the power to the cross, the death and the new life in Jesus Christ. It shows, because again, there's so many people that have died before, but this one, there's something unique about it. Also, he needed to send to heaven. He ascended to the right hand of the Father where he ever lives to make intercession for us. That's important because he said when he would go to the Father, who is he going to send? He was going to send the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit who comes upon us, comes inside of us upon our salvation, but also for the purpose of spiritual gifting and the purpose of ministering to others. We come under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And I've seen the Holy Spirit in my life. It's a proof of my salvation and the reality of Christ. I've seen the Holy Spirit in some of your lives as well. It encourages me and it strengthens me in my faith also. Ninthly, we have this one egg that has just got a piece of linen cloth in it. Linen cloth, well, that's important. It's, it's, it's actually very important. In Matthew 27, 57 through 60, this is going to speak of the death, but also the burial of Jesus Christ. Now, when evening had come, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus, and Pilate commanded that the body be given to him. When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, laid it in his new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock, and he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. This speaks of the death, but also just as equally important, the burial of Jesus Christ. 
Now, if you've had a loved one, I have, most of us have, a loved one that has gone, a loved one that has died, there's never really that finality of it until you cremate them or you lay them in the ground. It's, it's that reality with my father. I saw him. He, he was dead. There's no doubt about that. But I remember the day of his burial. They wanted to witness his day, and I was really the only one that stayed behind. And I watched him being placed in the ground, and I watched the dirt being put on the casket. And again, for me, it just spoke volumes that I'll never see him again until I'm in heaven. It just spoke of the finality of his death. Now, in the Jewish culture, why would they be put in a tomb? They were being put in a tomb so that their flesh would be eaten. That's the term that they use. And the idea is that the flesh would decompose. So the tomb, a body would not stay in there forever for the most part. It would go in there and because, well, it's not airtight and you wouldn't want that smell. You would go in there, and that's what Mary was doing on the very first Easter Sunday. She was going there to anoint the body with oils. And so as she went to anoint the body with oil, she found out that he wasn't there. But the idea is the permanence of the death and the reality of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. They would be put in this place, their flesh would be eaten, they would decompose. After about a year, there would only be bones left, and they would gather the bones, and they would place them usually with their forefathers. So the kings of Israel, like for instance, King David, when it says, and he was buried with his fathers, the idea is the body was left to be decomposed. They got the bones and they put the bones with the fathers before him. That was the intent with Jesus Christ. He changed the whole thing around, though, by coming back from the dead. Today, somewhere you could dig up the molecules of Muhammad, Buddha, Confucius, or anybody else. Elvis, Elvis's molecules are still around there somewhere. Thank you very much. But as far as Jesus Christ, he's alive. He's alive. He's alive. Yes, the grave, the tomb, the flesh eaters, whatever it might be, they could not contain him. Now, Paul picked up on this concept in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, when he's trying to show how we are to be dead to sin. Notice how he kind of separates death and burial. It says, Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried, and so he's taken the next step. Not only dead, but we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. And then we come upon our tenth egg. In our tenth egg, there's a rock. There's a stone. This one's kind of sort of round, but I say round round like a ball, but it's symbolic of the stone that was in front of, the, of the, the tomb of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're usually a stone that is about four feet high or so and is, is about as round as they could get it with the tools that they'd have. It'd be about eight inches to a foot thick. You would have, if you were such as Joseph of Arimathea, a man who was well off, you would have it, you'd have a little track that the stone could be rolled away. You could put the body inside and roll the stone back, and they would seal it the best that they, they possibly could. Something a little bit different in this one, though, in Matthew 28, verses 2 and 4. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow, and the guards shook for fear of him. There's something supernatural going on here. And became like dead men. That rolling away of the stone was not to let the Lord out. 
And we know through the scriptures that he had his spiritual body at that time. He could walk through a wall. The intent is to let humanity in. Humanity in that you would see that no, he's not there. The tomb is empty. We reconfirmed this when we were in Israel a month ago. We went to the where they believe the tomb is. You go in there and everybody comes out saying, he's not there, he's not there. You know, it's kind of a cool thing to be able to go there. I don't know if that's the particular one, but it doesn't matter. It gives you a picture of what it's like. And so God has opened for all to see and he invites you to come in. He invites you to scrutinize the reality and the truth of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. As I said earlier, it's okay to question it. It's okay to challenge it. The Bible, the Bible stands on its own two legs. And then the next one, the next one goes along with the previous one. It's empty. It's empty because death simply could not contain him. So I've got 11 eggs here, 11 plastic eggs here, kind of dug through this Easter bunny thing and got through to the truth. Why is that necessary? Well, these 11 eggs are necessary because of this last one. This is a real egg. This is a real egg, and this real egg, it represents so much. This real egg, it it represents life. It represents the frailty of life. It represents the hardship that we go through. This one, this one's been hardened. Eggs get hardened through boiling and, you know, a hard-boiled egg. But nonetheless, it's still a pretty delicate thing. This egg, it's white on the outside, but just see it as neutral on the outside because the color on the outside is not important. It's what's inside. What's inside can bring new life. What's inside can be nourishing. What's inside can be beneficial. And so we go through a lifetime, and even without Christ, it can have impact. There's been many people who weren't Christians that had impact that God used for the benefit of others, without a doubt. But there's just one problem. The reason Jesus died is because all of humanity dies. No matter how strong you are, that sooner or later, it's going to happen. Sooner or later is going to be that day that... It's going to happen to us all. It's going to happen to all of humanity, no matter how good of an egg you are. (laughs) Yes, I did know that it wasn't (laughs) hard-boiled. I got asked that a lot for service. But Jesus told us something very profound. He said in Matthew 21, 44, whoever falls on this stone, speaking of himself, will be broken. But on whomever it falls, it will ground him to powder. Think of the egg. Whoever falls on this stone, if I drop this egg, but if I drop this egg on the Lord Jesus Christ, yes, it's going to be broken, but it's going to be a good broken. The Bible tells us to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. And what's going to happen? He will lift us up. In our own pride, in our own abilities, you can't be right with God. It's got to be a humbling. And that's what makes it so hard. You minister to the loved one. You share with the loved one. You give the gospel to the loved one. But the loved one still has to come to the point where they admit, all of my thoughts, my dreams, and my perceptions were wrong. 
And what they're having to do is to die to self, die to pride. They're having to humble themselves and then come to the glory of God. And that's where God says, and I'll lift you up. All those who have received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, who have humbled themselves before the Lord, they've fallen on the stone and been broken, but it has been a good thing. But it says, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. For those who have refused Jesus Christ in a right relationship with the Lord in this life, to those, judgment is going to come. So it kind of goes back to what we talked a little bit about earlier. Is it drinking from the cup of judgment? Or is it drinking from the cup of redemption? God, every time the word goes out, he offers that cup of redemption. He offers you the chance to fall upon the stone. You'll be broken to all of your past perceptions, but it's going to be a good thing. It's going to be a good thing because it's there that you're able to start and to be rebuilt in the image of the living God. And so the decision, decision is ours. And there is a decision to be made. Because of the fear of the Lord, Paul says, we persuade men. I pray today that you've been persuaded. Persuaded that you've seen the truths and you've looked at the truth with an honest heart and you digest these things and make your decision. Father, once again, we just thank you, God, that you have given us this opportunity. Lord, that you have provided us this day and as you have given us this day, this most holy day and And Father, but it's a day like any other day in in one regard as well. It's a day that the truth has gone out, and Lord, there's the opportunity to make the decision. And Father, not one of us is guaranteed that we have even the trip home. We're not guaranteed that we have tomorrow or next week or whatever. Again, we just saw how fragile a life can be. And so, Father, I pray as the message has gone out that, Lord there would be decisions made. And and Lord, salvation is just such an intimate thing and it is such a private thing that Lord, this is something that you meet each and every person here in a a very real way, but again, a very private way. I pray that there would be nobody here that thinks that they're past what God is able to offer. Even myself, as I put together a message, I need to check my heart in this matter as well. And so as the truth has gone out, and there's opportunity, the Bible tells us that if we confess the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, it says that we'll be saved. And it speaks of an outward expression of what God has done inwardly. Our outward expression is the opportunity to witness what God does inside of us because our salvation is to be worked out in a very public way. And so as eyes are closed and heads are bowed in just a moment, I'm going to give an opportunity an opportunity to give this outward expression if truly God has done this inward work. Again, everybody here is going to drink from one cup or the other. Is it going to be the cup of judgment or the cup of redemption? And as we saw, the only way to truly effectively drink of the cup of redemption is to do it in belief. And my question to you today is, do you believe? Do you believe in the things that we have discussed? these 11 elements of these eggs that are so necessary because God desires to see you come into the kingdom of heaven. So again, as eyes are closed and heads are bowed, I'm not making a spectacle of anybody, but if God is speaking to your heart right now, if you know that you need to respond to this gospel message today, lift your hand up, and I'm just going to acknowledge it. I see your hands to my left. 
there anybody else? I see your hands to my right. Anybody else? This is between you and God. You're not doing this for me. You're doing this because God has laid this upon your heart. I see your hand all the way in the back. If you're in the overflow, you can raise your hand there. God sees it. Again, it's between you and the Lord. I would not want to cut this short. Is there anybody else? Is there anybody else? who Maybe you, I see your hand in, in the back to my left. Maybe you walked in here thinking you were right with God, but God revealed something to you. Anybody else? Don't let this moment get past because you don't know if you have the next one. I see your hand in the front here to my right. Praise God. Is there anybody else? Praise God for the hands that were raised here and what a blessing that that is. Know this, though. Think the things over that were said here. Consider these things. And, and, and it's not just that God can only work on your heart here at church because he works on our heart 24-7. Take that time, the quiet time, maybe tonight as you're laying in bed, and just pray that God would reveal himself and reveal truth to you. And I guarantee you, if you do that with an honest heart, he will. And you can receive the Lord even there. Even receive the Lord in that quiet place. But as far as those who have lifted their hands today, Father, we just thank you, God, for the work that you have done. And again, this all lends towards this witness and this proof, Father, of, of what you do. And Father, what you continue to do. And Lord, I lift up those who have lifted their hands before you. Pray that you would strengthen them. Pray that you would fill them with your spirit, Lord. Pray, God, that you would do great things, miracles within their lives and miracles throughout their lives. And so, Father, I just thank you for this day, all the work and the effort that went into it with so many people. But, God, it's just a labor of love because we see the love of you poured out in this place today. So, Father, we just thank you and praise you. And we just give you all the glory, Father, for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you all stand, please? First of all, if you've raised your hand or you want to know more about a relationship with Jesus Christ, Kim is in the back. He's going to be right in front of the sound booth. He's got some materials for you. He's got some Bibles for you, and it's just for the purpose of growing in your faith. But before we close, we're going to say what we call the sinner's prayer. Now, the sinner's prayer has saved nobody. The sinner's prayer within itself does not save anybody, but for us all, it's a reminder. The people that raise their hands today, because of their belief, they have come into the kingdom of heaven. But that's the same way I came into the kingdom of heaven. And it's the same way everybody else who has come in has come in. And really what it is, it's a prayer of unity. It's a prayer that we say together as brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. So just repeat after me. Father, I know I'm a sinner. Father, I know that you have saved sinners. I know that you have saved me. Continue to give me a new life that I may honor you all the days that you have given me. We thank you for your grace and mercy and pray that we would exemplify your, your goodness to all men. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Just a couple more things. Don't come to church tonight because we ain't having it. We've 
We are not having our evening service tonight, but we are back in our regular schedule. The ladies are having their small groups this week. Men's study, we have a men's study Wednesday morning at 6.30. We gather for breakfast and then the Word. We'll be back in Jeremiah on Thursday night, and then our Sunday schedule will be back 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. We're in Hebrews and then Sunday night in 2 Kings. God bless you guys. Have a great Resurrection Day.
Happy Resurrection Day.